Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4 through 9. If um, you think I've been speaking on this verse a lot, you're right. Uh, it is uh, one of my favorites, but it is also one that is very challenging. Um, I think of it in the context that the greatest battle that goes on is for our minds. What you think, where, what types of thoughts occupy your minds. Your actions will follow your thoughts. The direction of your life will follow your thoughts. If you don't change your thoughts, you will never change your direction of your life. If you're down in the dumps and you continue to harbor or think on those things and you create a deep river of doubt and anxiety, you're, not, you're waiting for something good to come into your life to change it. It's not going to happen. The idea is that you've got to change your thoughts and change your, you know, I've got to be a happy person before you find happiness. <laughs> About that again? <laughs> You've got to be a happy person before you find happiness. You've got to be a loving person before you find love. And the idea is that we love Jesus Christ. He is love and He loves us. We, find, we, we decide to allow that love of God to affect our hearts and influence our hearts. And we find the love of God. The love of God works in our lives. So, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, where is Paul writing this from? He's writing it from a Roman prison. Okay? Remember a few weeks ago we spoke about apples of gold and settings of silver. And uh, we used this verse to emphasize that the apples of gold is the promises of God and how they change this, the surroundings, the setting of silver. All right. Are, and, the, and the apples of gold and settings of silver are words wisely spoken. Okay? That was that proverb and that was another sermon. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And where was this written from? <laughs> where was it written from? The Roman prison. All right. You got that? Rejoice in the Lord always. And where was this written from? <laughs> A Roman prison. And I will say it again. <laughs> Where was this written from? <laughs> and what are you supposed to do in a Roman prison? Rejoice. Ah. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And let your gentleness... Do you think you would be gentle in prison? <laughs> let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Do you think you would be anxious in prison? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. <laughs> to be, you know, if we are praying, are we thankful for the need that we are speaking to God? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and, and the peace of God, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, the challenge is that, and the title of my message today is, Start from where you are with whatever you've got. 
You start from wherever you are with whatever you've got. Most, many times we think that we're, life is going to be different whenever we get somewhere. Or life is going to be better for us when we get somewhere. Well, the idea is we have to start where we are with what we've got. If you don't start where, with, you, don't start where you are, where are you going to start from? And if you don't start with what you've already got, where, what are you going to wait for? And, and the challenge is, as Paul is saying here, rejoicing in God, he is challenging us by the Spirit's empowering to rejoice in the Lord when things are not as you think they should be. And when things, you know, and he's talking about being joyous, and he's talking about not being anxious, and he's talking about praying. And whenever we're praying, we're, we have an attitude of being grateful or thankful whenever we are praying we are thanking God for whatever we are praying for. And we are praying and we are thanking God for His presence. <laughs> There's a mic down here. Uh, in case you were wondering what I was kicking. Um, so there is, there is all these things going on that we are, to, we are to challenge. So if we are to begin, we have to begin where we are with what we've got. Hi, Ryan. Would you like to come up here? Thank you. <laughs> I got a challenge for you. All right. It's a very difficult one. You ready? Okay. You guys stand, face me here. Right. Okay. You ready? Okay. When I say three, I want you to decide which aisle you want to go down and go down it. Are you ready? These aisles right here. Or the ones, if there's three, one, two, three, four aisles you can choose from. Okay, four. Okay. Got that? And you can choose. You ready? Sure. On four. On three. Ready? On three. <laughs> on three. You ready? Yeah, sure. One. Don't have to run. You can just walk and do this thing. It's not a big... It's not, they keep you or... No, no. You can go any... You can just turn and, turn and walk. There's, 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 it's very loose. It's a very loose thing, okay? Right, yeah, it's not one that's tricky. I'm not going to hobble you. But whenever, whenever I say three, I want you to, to just turn around calmly... You know, there's no pressure. You know, not that anybody's looking at you. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I want you to calmly just turn and walk down an aisle. Ready? One, two, three. That's a good walk. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I give right a hand. You can sit down. <laughs> you can sit down. That was easy. That was an easy one. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the idea is why, and, and this is okay, this is not for, you don't have to figure this out, but why did Ryan choose that aisle and that direction, that speed? Why did he go there? Why didn't he go here, there, or out there? What is there about that decision that is so important? You say, well, it, always, it all ends up at the same place. No, it doesn't. It ends up at a different location. And in our lives, every one of us will make choices. Every one of us are in a position to make a choice. And we have a responsibility to our relationship with Jesus Christ to choose a direction in our life that is according to the Scripture. And the Scripture wasn't saying rejoicing in the Lord. So what aisle, what path of my life 
is there that I am choosing? Is it one that I am rejoicing in God with, that I am being thankful to God for, and that I am taking, starting off with who I am, where I am, with what I've got, and I'm taking the path? But every path will have a different outcome. Every path will take me someplace different. Everything in our life, every decision that has a choice, takes us somewhere. And choosing the path is a very important aspect. And we would say, if I could bring you, you know, if I brought everyone up here, would we all take the same path because Ryan did? Or would we take a different one because Ryan took that one? How would we know what path to take? So when Paul is talking to us here in Philippians, he's talking to us about rejoicing in the Lord. And so as we choose a path, we must choose a path that we are looking to God. And that as we are choosing the path, the apples of gold and the setting of silver, is that on that path, I am going to remember the promises of God and how that those promises speak life to me. Um, Lois Walker has uh, a, a silver dish with apple, golden apples in it from that sermon. I don't think they're real gold and real, you know, but I would have asked her for one. But anyhow, she has that, uh, she has that on her, di- on her uh, table to remind her of that, uh, of that sermon. See, rejoicing is sometimes... Now, whenever we think about this idea of rejoicing in the Lord... Rejoicing in God is not to be confused with happiness. Happiness is, evolves from, um, you know, it's kind of you, whenever we think of happiness, we envision unwrapping Christmas presents or strolling down the road hand in hand with someone or I like the, the bucket list. The guy was to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world and it was his granddaughter. <laughs> uh, being surprised on your birthday. Were you surprised, Brian? No. All right. I wasn't surprised at all. I just got up and they gave me cards and money and stuff, you know. He turned 16. He turned 16, yeah. Oh. So for everyone, everyone wants to be happy. Sometimes we make happiness. Some people make happiness a lifelong ambition, a pursuit. They spend money for it, collecting things, searching for new experiences. But what happens? What happens when happiness depends upon circumstances and the toys rust and the loved ones move away and the health deteriorates in the money, <laughs> inflation and all that other stuff and happiness flees and despair comes in? Well, you see, this was the idea of when things change. Paul says, I've been knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I've I've been I've been beaten, but I'm not I'm not off course. You see, he's able to recognize that in his despair, in this thing, despair doesn't have a hold of him. You know, that's where we look at the attitude and our, our actions, our attitude will follow our our thoughts, and our direction will follow our, our thoughts that we have. And so if we think the right way, and we are allowing, and this we studied this in Sunday school. This morning about the Holy Spirit's aspect. In the last couple of weeks, we spoke about the Holy Spirit in creation, the Genesis effect. 
where the Spirit of God moves over the water and brings into existence. And then, one of the, and we talked today about the, the Holy Spirit in the Incarnation, in Jesus Christ and His birth. And one of the translators has it that, that whenever, whenever uh, the Spirit came upon Mary, it was the Genesis effect, the, re, the, the creation of life. And, and, that, and, and that whenever that creation of the Spirit was there with, with Mary and, and, inhibited Je- and, and, and inhabited Jesus, and that in, in His life we have the Spirit's work in His life, and then at Pentecost we have the Spirit coming to the church. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, He shall quicken your mortal body. It's the same Holy Spirit that was there in creation before the beginning began, that spirit that was there that moved upon the face of the waters and upon the face of the deep that brought this world into existence and the worlds into existence, breathed into man the breath of life and made mankind a living soul, that same spirit breathes into our spirit. That same Holy Spirit breathes into our spirit and it breathes the word of God into us so that whenever we are saying rejoice, in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And that we are to be thankful. And that we are to bring our prayers and our, our, with thanksgiving to God. What are we doing? That same breath is breathing into us. The breath of life and the breath of promise. And we are then living that. We are living that. And it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that makes all that happens. This letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. It is a joyful letter. The church had been a a great encouragement to Paul. And Philippians is a joyful book because it emphasizes the real joy of the Christian life. The concept of rejoicing or joy appears 16 times in four chapters. 16 times Paul is writing about rejoicing. And where is Paul at? He's in a Roman prison, he is chained to a guard. And he is chained to a guard in a Roman prison and he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That bring everything with prayer and petition. Be not anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Well, am I ever going to get out of here? Is life ever going to change for me? Are things going to be different for me now? Huh? You know, we, get, we build up all these anxiety and Paul in the prison. What's he saying? Be not anxious. But in everything, prayer. Bring it with prayer and petitions, with thanksgiving. You see, the breath of the Spirit of God brings the the assurance that everything is okay. That God is in control, even though I don't know how He is going to work this out. God is in control. So with thanksgiving, I am grateful to God for what He has done for me. In Paul's life of serving Christ, he faced excruciating poverty. And he, you know, he faced, he faced, you know, he was beaten with rods, you know, caning. Uh, He was shipwrecked, spent a day and a night floating in the deep. Uh, He was drug out of the city for dead after they stoned him. And he's talking about rejoicing in God. Apples of gold and settings of silver promises of God, the breath of life that the Spirit breathed into his soul, breathed into his life, and he was able to speak that and to experience it. The Bible says that our spirit, that his spirit bears witness with our spirit, that the same spirit that 
was there in creation, the same Spirit that was there with, with Christ, the same Spirit was there on the day of Pentecost, is the same Spirit that breathes into us the breath of life and gives us hope in the midst of trials, gives us direction whenever we say that we don't feel like we have a direction and we don't know which path to take, which aisle should I take, well, which one am I praying about? Which one brings the joy of God to my life? Which one is saying that I am safe? Safe in God, not necessarily safe in the circumstance. He wrote this joyful letter. And Paul, Paul had learned to be content. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. What's it say? Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need. I'm not talking about, you know, Paul's not saying, I'm not talking about I need something from you people. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Whoa. I've learned to be content in prison. I've learned to be content being chained to a Roman soldier. I've learned to be content that somebody else is in control of my life, whether I live or whether I die. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I am. I have learned. I know. I know. I have learned. I can do. (laughs) Those are words that speak affirmation. Those are words that speak affirmation to our life. There are words that we speak to our life that give us, that, that give to us, and that keep us out of that canyon of despair. That keep us, keep our hearts prepared to receive good into our life. It keeps us in a place where love can touch our lives and help and, and healing can be there for us. It isn't something we're going to be so far gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> the old hee-haw thing, you know. <laughs> so some of you don't remember that. Okay, so, so we, we move out of those things. We move out of that because, because of that breath of God that speaks to our hearts speaks to our soul. Paul finding real joy as he focused on all, all of his attention in chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to move there for a moment. Chapter 3, verse 8. What's he say? What is, more, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them ruddy, rubbish that I may have gained Christ. He found a relationship with Jesus Christ that changed everything. If, you, if we do a character study on the Apostle Paul, we know that he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a, a, you know, he was a, a student of Gamaliel. I mean, he went to the, the, the greatest... Is it where if there were, were the most elite school in Israel of the time, Paul was there. And he not only went to the most elite school, he was the most elite student of that school. 
And he was the best of the best. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a genius of genius. <laughs> he was, you know, and in and, and, and that society, he was everything. And he said, I count that all as nothing compared to my knowledge of Jesus Christ. He chose a path that brought him to a place where he met Jesus, <laughs> or Jesus met him. And changed his life forever. And now that change has had a transformation in chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect. But I press on to, make the, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. I have found a path. I have found a trail. I have found a direction. And as I am on this direction, I am taking hold of this, and I am following this. Just as, I, as Christ took hold of me, I realize there is a purpose, there is a will for my life. Brothers, he says in verse 13, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. What did Paul have to forget? He, had, he, stone, he stood by and watched Stephen be stoned. Paul was the instigator of the early church, uh, of the trauma that went on in the early church. Families were separated, Christians were imprisoned. And he was, he was an instigator of all of that. He said, I have to forget that. I have to let go of those things. And I strain forward, I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. There is a prize ahead of me. My life, you see, we have to begin where we are at. We have to begin where we are at and we begin with what we have. And whenever we make the turn, and whenever we make the turn to go a direction, we've got to remember, I have to forget what is behind me. I have to realize that my sins are gone. My, the things that I've done wrong in my life, God must forgive me. He will forgive me if I ask Him. And I must choose a path. I must choose a path, and the path I choose has a destiny. The, cho- the path I choose has a prize. And whenever we serve Jesus Christ, the prize is eternal life. The prize is an endless life with Christ. And the prize is heaven. And that becomes my goal. My goal is to reach heaven. But until that day, I press on. I forget what is behind, the mistakes, the failures, all those things. I have to let them go. I don't pretend they don't exist. I don't pretend they don't exist. Paul never forgot the stoning of Stephen. He never forgot it. But he never allowed it to interrupt where he was going. And, he, and, he, re, and he, re, he referred to it at the end of his life, at the end of his letters, he still remembered Stephen and the impact that that was upon him. But he knew that, he was, that at that point of his life, he knew that he, didn't, he was with a man without Christ. But when Christ came into his life, he changed him. I press on toward the goal of the prize for which God has called me heavenward. When I was writing this... Um, they were talking about George Beverly Shea. I heard it was on the TV. And every Billy Graham crusade, he sang, I'd rather have Jesus 
than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The path that we walk, the path that we have taken, we start where we are with what we've got. We start with the end in mind, knowing that there is a destiny and there is a purpose. And I thought of this poem, maybe some of you know it, The Road Not Taken, by Robert Frost. I'm not a great poet, but I I like this one because it talks about the same thing. The road not taken. Two roads diverge in the yellow woods, and sorry I could not travel both. And And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as far, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no steps had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, Yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere in ages, ages hence, two roads diverge in the woods, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. The road not taken concerns a choice made between two roads by a person out walking in the woods. He would like to explore both roads. He tells himself that he will explore one and then come back and explore the other. But he knows he will probably be unable to do so. And just as we were up here with Ryan and we're talking and say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to go down this one. If that doesn't work, I can come back and try this one. And we often think in our life that we have the ability to choose and we can make a choice and we can go somewhere one day. It's all right. I'll go back and try that other road another day. But you know what? We never can. We can never retrace and we never can get back to that same spot because we can't go back in time. We have to make a choice. And every choice we make has an influence, has an outcome, will make a difference. And God is the one whose breath speaks to our hearts to inspire us 
What choice should I make? What choice should I make? Which way does the breath of God lead me? Which one tells me that God is with me? God will help me. God will be my guide. God will give me strength. God will help me. God's love will breathe strength into my life. God's purpose will be there with me as I take my next step. And as I walk, I walk with God and I know that God is with me. This is the road that is less traveled. This is the road that God has called us to to follow. And it is a road that He has gone before. God will not take us where He has not already been. God will lead us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. God will be our friend who sticks closer than a brother. I will choose the path upon which my Savior walks. And he will walk with me. And he will talk with me. And he will tell me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we walk that path there, none other has ever known. That is the road less traveled. God has called us to walk that path. It's not a path of loneliness. It is not a path that others do not follow. Paul walked that path. Isaiah the prophet, David the, David the king, the disciples, all who follow Jesus walked that path. We're not alone. We're not abandoned. We are accompanied by a great crowd of witnesses cheering us on from eternity past from, from, from Adam on down, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets of old and the, and, and, the, and the disciples and the followers of Christ. They're all surrounding us, encouraging us to walk the path because we can finish the course that God has called us to walk. And He walks with me. And He talks to me. His Spirit breathes life to me. And the life he breathes into me is his word. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am never alone. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He calls me to walk the path of righteousness For his namesake. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. It's all about you.